As I start today, I'm going to do some bit, start with something I usually wouldn't do, which is to give a bit of a content warning on our reading and our sermon today. Because um, in this passage, as you heard, Jesus talks about a number of topics that I believe uh, may provoke a sense of anxiety among some people listening or watching with us today. For instance, we have here in this reading what I understand is the only use of the term hell in Luke's Gospel as well as the saying on the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and a warning about not acknowledging Jesus and the consequences of that. And I'm aware that for many people, these particular teachings have been a prominent part of fairly unhealthy religious systems and spiritual systems and institutions you might have been part of. Um, And they've been used in an unhelpful way many times over the years often created trauma for sensitive people in the church. And that's a wrong thing and it shouldn't happen. So I hope that as we listen to this reading today, that we're careful and listen to what Jesus is really saying here. Because I think there are actually words of comfort for us all in this reading. So saying all that, as we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke this year from the beginning, I've been reminded again and again of the truth and depth of the word gospel which we take from the word in Greek, which means literally good news. Jesus, as we've seen, was a teacher of the kingdom of God, which is the pronouncement and the declaration of the power and presence of God to change people's lives and to change our world. So we've seen that when people experience God's kingdom, that Jesus is brought in, they're forgiven, they are healed, They're set free from oppression. We're delivered from evil by him. We have a new hope for the future and a new life and a renewed spirit. That is the gospel of the kingdom of God. All of that is good news, isn't it? It's good, good news. The gospel of Jesus is genuinely good news for all of us. Our God is a God of infinite love, of mercy and grace to all people. Somehow, at times, though, we have turned this good news into bad news, those of us who follow Jesus. I want to think about how that might happen. So in management theory, for instance, there's a, theory, there's a discussion about what's called theory X and theory Y styles of management. I'm not sure if anyone's heard of this. So theory X is when organisations and managers in them believe that people generally don't want to work. And they need to be motivated by punishments and rewards and careful control of their activity in order to get things done. Okay, you might have experienced that at some of your workplaces. On the other hand, the theory Y says people generally do want to work hard and they'll achieve more if they're motivated by purpose and meaning in what they do, by good relationships and a positive environment. Now... From particularly around, I think, the Middle Ages and into modern times in many places, a lot of Christian teachers have worked with what I call a Theory X vision of Christian life and mentality. And so a lot of gospel presentations are focused on judgment and punishment and the threat of that to motivate people to believe and commit to following Jesus. I believe, however, that Jesus himself and the Gospel of Luke has a Theory Y approach. And generally, we are presented with positive encouragements to respond to God because of the blessings and benefits of that decision. This is what Jesus did with his good news. So the passage today we've heard is interesting to read in that light then because it's often given a title in our Bibles. If you look at it, it says, 
Warnings and encouragements. So warnings, that's a very theory X idea, and encouragements are sort of theory Y, don't they? But I actually think that if we read appropriately and read in the proper context of the rest of the Gospel of Luke, everything that Jesus says here in this passage is meant to be an encouragement to the people that he was talking to and to us. It is part of the good news of the kingdom of God. And so let's think why that might be true by reading this passage in its context. So if we look back over the last couple of weeks in the passages that lead up to uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, we see this is part of the ongoing description in Luke's gospel of Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. And as we've discussed, Jesus' opinion was that the Jewish people at the time had been led astray by their religious leaders. They were hypocritical, they were legalistic, and they didn't understand the kingdom of God or their own religious traditions correctly. As a result, they were focused on religious laws and worship practices of exclusion rather than a generous heart of love for God and justice for people, which is what they should have been doing. They were creating a culture whereby what mattered was an outward appearance of religious conviction, not inner personal transformation or even basic ethical action. And so Jesus' message to them was that judgment was coming against that situation. God was not pleased with this. And Jesus demonstrated in his own ministry a more authentic style of spiritual leadership to the ordinary people, which is why, of course, he became unpopular with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So a few weeks ago, when we looked at the topic of judgment in the, in the Bible, we defined it as being, so judgment is when things are seen for what they really are. So judgment is when things are seen for what they truly are. This is what God brings. And this judgment is not about condemnation, then. It's about revelation. So God's judgment is not about condemnation, as Jesus says, but it's about revelation. God shows us things as we are so that we can be changed. And when people experience being judged by God, they're offered the opportunity to embrace their true selves, to repent, to change, and to reject what's wrong. Or, but they can reject that judgment and live according to lies. And if we do that, that will degrade and corrupt us and the people around us. So basically what Jesus is doing in this passage today, I believe, that we've read, is describing the revelation of judgment over the people and systems in his nation who were in opposition to the kingdom of God. They were seen for what they really are. And he says that in the end, those who genuinely do seek the God's kingdom, who accept it and live in it, will be vindicated. So we can see this in the introductory verses, in verses 1 to 3. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Again, a couple of weeks ago, we discussed this problem of hypocrisy and what it is. Hypocrisy is this un attitude of untruth, where what we say what we are is not what we actually are. And this was the way of life of the Pharisees. They were outwardly very religious, but inwardly they were not loving towards God or others. But Jesus is warning them, this hypocrisy will be revealed eventually, and the inside things, the things that we keep dark, will be shown clearly and seen for what they are. And presumably also those with good hearts who are living truthfully in God's kingdom will be seen truthfully as well. And when this happens, it will be judgment. It will be a revelation of truth. This is what Jesus sees coming as the kingdom of God is revealed in the world, whether gradually 
or suddenly, and people see it. The truth is proclaimed. And on the basis of that, then, I think we have a number of encouragements from Jesus to take heed of in verses 4 to 12 of this passage. And I believe all of those encouragements are to do with the reality of judgment and the effects that it has on those who experience that judgment. So if you look into verse 4 and on, the first of those is an encouragement to be having, having an appropriate concern for what might come for us in the future. What are we going to be really concerned about in the light of God's coming judgment? Now, Jesus' followers were mostly simple people, and I think in their daily lives, their fears would have centred around the powerful military and economic powers that were oppressing them and their nation, whether the Romans at the time or the local Jewish government as well. These rulers did have literally the power of life and death over them. They could destroy their bodies if they wanted to. But Jesus encourages them, this is only a temporary power that anyone has. It's not a final judgment on us. It is God who has the power to judge everyone, and he knows everything about us, down to the hairs on our head. He knows our true value, he knows our true worth, and he holds us in his hands as he does that, with care. And his judgment pierces through to the very centre of our soul, not just our body. And this is, of course, where Jesus mentions hell in verses 4 to 5. So it's worth stopping here. I think in 2022, we suffer from having had several thousand years of imagination and speculation in the church around the idea of hell in our culture, which most of which is very unhelpful indeed. The word hell even itself is taken from Norse mythology about their underworld. And often in our culture, it's mixed with the idea of Greek Hades and other belief systems into this messy picture of this place which turns up on heavy metal album covers and the like. You know. You've seen, you all know what I'm talking about. Okay. That is not what Jesus is describing here. Where Jesus' where Jesus's words are translated hell, here he's actually using the word Gehenna, which is a reference to a location called the Valley of Hinnom outside the city of Jerusalem. And over the years, this place had been associated with pagan religious sacrifices of nasty kinds. It became legendary. This is the nasty place. This is where bad things happen. This is a place of evil, a place of judgment. So Gehenna, at the time of Jesus, was really a symbol of what happens when the enemies of God and his people meet their proper judgment, are shown for what they are, and are cast out of his city. It's not necessarily a place or a spiritual dimension of the afterlife, and we shouldn't really read into this passage more than what is here. We don't actually, to be honest, know very much from the Bible about the details of the afterlife, and in fact, I don't believe that's a major concern of the biblical writers at all. They are far more concerned with our connection and experience of God in this world as his kingdom comes in now, and we experience it. So in context... What Jesus is saying in these verses is that when the kingdom of God comes in, when it's revealed fully, it will shine into and cast out the evil in the world and display it publicly for what it is. So be ready. So yes, this is an encouragement for those listening to Jesus and to us. Judgment is coming on all those powers, all those rulers who have rejected God and oppressed his people. That is what we should be concerned about. That is the real worry for them. So that's the first encouragement he gives to his people. Next then, Jesus gives an encouragement to his followers then to acknowledge him and to speak truthfully about their allegiance to the kingdom of God that's coming. 
The reason why is that when God's kingdom is revealed and when true judgment comes, those who have accepted the kingdom will be vindicated in public for that. And those who have rejected of kingdom, of the kingdom of God will find there's no way now to pretend that it's not real. So I believe the hard words in these verses, again, about not acknowledging Jesus, are directed against the Pharisees and those people like him who resist acknowledging what Jesus is doing right in front of them. They will find themselves on the wrong side of that judgment when the time comes in front of all the angels. So the encouragement then for his followers is if if they find themselves in front of earthly judgments now, as they might, they should be confident and trust that the Holy Spirit will guide them. As he says, when you're brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Since they're going to be accurately and lovingly judged by God at the right time, you don't need to worry about human judgment anymore. Just say what you need to say. As we think about that, I do want to say a particular word about verse 10 in our reading because it's a problematic verse, I know, for many people. Jesus says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This verse has for a long time been something of a mental trap for conscientious and sensitive Christian people. I know many people, including myself, who have at various times convinced themselves that they have somehow committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, perhaps even through a careless word, and therefore unable to be saved. That can be a genuine source of despair for many people. That is a sad thing when it happens, and I would like to make sure that the tender consciences of all those good Christian people are at rest today. This certainly is a complicated saying of Jesus here. It's hard to understand. But my understanding is he is describing the difference between the people not understanding who Jesus is in his human self during his ministry, the Son of Man, and that's understandable, not understanding who he was, and on the other hand, giving a comprehensive and determined rejection of the work of God in the world and in our lives. When we blaspheme, we turn something holy into something unholy. That's what blasphemy is. So to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to look at the kingdom of God, to sense that God's presence is here in a genuine way and say, no, that's not good. That is not something that can be passed over. It's it's the heart of the matter when it comes to receiving and accepting forgiveness and transformation in the kingdom. If you say no to that, there's nothing left in the gospel of Jesus to say yes to. So the problem in Jesus' day was those people like the Pharisees who were doing that very thing. They were putting themselves outside the positive effects of God's influence and saying, no, this is not good. The Holy Spirit is not at work here. The kingdom of God is not coming. So please read that verse in context. It's a description of a particular problem with those who were hearing the gospel of Jesus, who should have understood and accepted it, but did not. And an encouragement not to do that ourselves, not to reject it in our own day. We shouldn't read it as an absolute and arbitrary spiritual law that we can accidentally break. Basically, if you're worried about the problem, by definition, you're not someone that it applies to. That's my genuine prescription here, okay? But let's bring this uh, back to the big picture of this reading. Jesus is encouraging us here that the kingdom of God is not always going to be hidden and veiled in the world in the way it is now. At some times and places, and eventually in all times, 
and in all places it will be revealed. And the light of that truth will shine into every dark place, the places that are hidden now. If we receive and accept the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus, we will be vindicated at that point. Therefore, in the interim, we can be encouraged that there is nothing ultimately to fear from the passing judgments and the powers of the world and the evil in it. They will be judged too. They will find themselves under true judgment and everything will be seen for what it truly is. And evil will be cast out into the place prepared for it. That is our hope. That is the hope of the world. So I think as we reflect on the gospel in this year and the kingdom of God together, I do encourage you when we do this to take note primarily of the goodness of the good news. This is good news. It's really good news that Jesus has brought. So many of us are weighed down by the systems of the world, the oppression, the random evil that permeates our world, and there's disappointment of that. And we find it hard to hope for vindication or transformation. Jesus doesn't bring fear for us into that. He brings liberation. He brings good news. The good news is that in the end, we are to be judged by the perfect, loving Father, the God and creator of all things, who is infinite in mercy and very patient, in fact, with flawed people like ourselves. And he's inviting us to trust in him. Everything will be made right at the appropriate time. So I'd encourage us today, let's truly believe this good news and hope for its revelation. I'm going to pray for a minute before we move on with the rest of our service and applying this to our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your words to us that encourage us that what is hidden will be made clear and that at that time everything will be made right. I pray for all of us here that we would experience your judgment as a call to repent and to change, to open our lives to your spirit and not to turn aside. And I pray for our world that they would see more and more clearly the kingdom of God at work to accept and understand your truth. And I pray that in all places your judgment would be truthfully seen. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.